0: Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Jaffa Falston area north of Baltimore, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. If you're nearby on a Sunday, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching.
1: I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the 11th chapter of Revelation. We will be starting at verse 15. Verse <clears> 15. <throat> Uh, And before we jump into our text while you're flipping there, it's helpful to remember that chapter 11 seems to be a chapter out of chronological order. So in, in Revelation chapter 10, John was given the scroll of the Lamb and was told to eat and prophesy it. And the way chapter 11 is written, it's almost as if chapter 11 is a partial summary of the back half of Revelation. So verses 15 through 19... I'm proposing this song of praise is in assurance, in anticipation of the end of the book, uh, of Jesus' coming, of the millennial kingdom. Uh, So the song that we are going to study today seems to be anticipating the end of this story, the end of the book. So with that, let's jump in at verse 15. You know, I... Well, let's pray again. God, we, just as surely as you are real, we know our enemy is. And just as strongly as you want your word heralded, he wants it ceased. So God, we ask that you would break down any strongholds right now and remove any any temptation or trap of the enemy, God. Help us to put on our armor and wear it boldly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? You know how lucky you are I didn't stop there today? As the seventh trumpet is blown... Heaven erupts into this singular praise. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Heaven declares singularly in one unified voice that the kingdom of the world. Not kingdoms, but kingdoms, singular. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. This is very informative. This tells us that when heaven looks down upon mankind, it does not primarily see the British Empire or the Mongol dynasty or any other world power. Heaven's perspective today is that there may be 195 sovereign countries in the world right now, but there are really only two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And what this song in heaven just declared was that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Heaven declares... That there is a time, that there is a coming a time that the kingdom of darkness will be destroyed, removed, overcome, overthrown, overrun. Satan's not gonna win. And heaven declares it boldly. And here in Revelation 11, in heaven, they declare it as if it's already happened, because it's guaranteed to happen. And why is it guaranteed to happen? Because God said it will. Here's a really good word for you when you're reading your Bible. What God says is. (laughs) Many of these beings that are declaring this in heaven are the very ones that saw God say, let there be light. And there was. They know, as the church needs to know, whatever God declares is. And if he's saying the kingdom of darkness is going to be destroyed, it's as sure as if it's already happened. And we need to see here that the kingdom is the kingdom of the Kurios and the Christos, the Lord and Christ. And this is referring to the Father and the Son. It's helpful to remember that Jesus is the Kurios, the Christ, but in Revelation 4, 8, the Father is also called the Kurios. So the Bible uses interchangeable language within the Trinity, John 10, 31, because why? Jesus and the Father are one, and the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of the Lord and the kingdom of his Christ. And Jesus seems to say in John 3, and of the Spirit, so this is the kingdom of the triune God. And question, how long does God's kingdom last? And he shall reign forever and ever. Forever was enough, wasn't it? Nope, and ever. (laughs) It will never end. His is a kingdom which does does not end. Does not end, does not end. Forever and ever. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, and you guys know I say that almost about every single verse I look at, but one of my real favorite f- passages in Scripture is the birth announcement of Jesus Christ in Luke. Uh, I want to read this to you, Luke one twenty six. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. In the Aramaic, it's just hi. He goes, Hi. Uh, There's an angel in my house. And he just said, Hi. Uh, Hi, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at his saying, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's as if it's already happened, isn't it? The announcement of the coming Messiah was one of a kingdom and of a kingdom without end and if I can say boldly this needs to be part of our communication about the gospel we we can get really westernized in our presentation of the Bible by making it all so singular well that's you and your relationship with Jesus, no no no, there's a kingdom aspect here and what I mean by that is (sighs) Not just a kingdom aspect, but a kingdom aspect in eternity. So hell. Hell is a place where people are going to burn forever and ever without end. Hell is a place, Jesus tells us, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it is very, very real. But the good news is not, that just, not just that Jesus saved us from an eternity in Hell. He also saved us into an eternity into his kingdom. The good news isn't that Jesus is just saving us from an eternity of wrath, but is bringing us into an eternity of joy and peace and everlasting life within his glorious, radiant, superlative presence with all his children, with all his people. The, 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 the gospel is not Jesus came to die for you. It's the gospel came that G- Jesus came to die for us. It, it, there's a communal aspect to this. And when we are in heaven, and we we are in the new earth, as we, as John Newton said, when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's a kingdom that does not end. We need to think about the gospel as forever and ever. His is a paradise that does not perish. It is an Eden without expulsion. Heaven is rightly erupting into praise here as the church needs to because his is a kingdom that does not end. As Handel's Messiah wrote, For the Lord God omnipoteth reign, hallelujah, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. 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 ever. For the king of kings... Forever and ever, hallelujah, hallelujah. And Lord of Lords, forever and ever, hallelujah, and hallelujah. And he shall reign, and he shall reign, and he shall reign forever and ever. King and kings, forever and ever. You getting the point? And he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. One of the greatest songs ever composed by mankind was built off of today's text. And it is a song declaring that God's kingdom is a kingdom that does not end. And it says it over and over again. And it gets better every time we hear it, and ever, and ever, and ever. That God's kingdom breaks the dominion of darkness forever. And ever, forever, and ever, the the hallelujah chorus. The, the the hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. So it's the praise of the Lord chorus gets its power from the verses of the eternal King and Kingdom. That's why the hallelujah hits you because of the forever and ever's. And here in Revelation eleven fifteen, 15, heaven erupts into hallelujah in, in praise for Yah, for the, the Lord, over God's kingdom, which will never end. Maybe our greatest worship song is about this. And in heaven, this is our worship. We, we need to enter into the eternal kingdom, which, which does not end. This is part of our gospel. And then in chapter 16, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying. And now the 24 elders are going to sing a song of praise and worship. And he says, We must give thanks to you, Kyrios, Theos, Pantocrator. It's Lord God Almighty. The 24 elders begin their worship by saying, Thank you, and thank you to a God of three. And then it says, who is and who was? For you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The word begun there implies a future. So we have 3 a God of three titles, Lord God Almighty. And we have a God of who was and is uh, and who has begun to reign. Now, If you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, or or, or you can recall the earlier chapters of Revelation, you'll know that the typical pattern of praise here has been altered. Typically, the song in heaven is, is the God of who is, and who was, and who is to come. But it changes here in Revelation 11. The traditional who is to come has been replaced with, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And the reason it's been replaced is to come with begun is because the is to come has begun the the, the, the song the, this song is about the end of the book and the coming of the kingdom is not coming it's here you know I'm still chewing on this but when we get up into heaven and we're in the new earth and and I, I'm not sure we're going to ever sing of a god who is to come because he will have already came. Mm-hmm. From Revelation 19, our song in heaven will be of a God who is. And a God of who is without end. And then notice the kingdom which never ends has begun because God has taken his great power and begun to reign. This does not mean Jesus received great power. What this means is Jesus with his great power is taking reign. Thinking of the end of the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns to earth... Is he going to go up to Satan and say, please, can I have the keys to the world? He's not going to ask Satan for the earth. By Jesus' great power, by the sword of his mouth, he's going to take it. You see, at the cross, the Son of Man, the new Adam, Jesus... What was found worthy to hold dominion over the earth. That's what Revelation chapter 4 is. Who is worthy to open the scroll? I look on the earth and in the earth and under the earth and over the sky. And no one's found worthy. But one. Do not weep, O John. For there's one who's found worthy. The Lamb. When Jesus was on the cross, he was found worthy. To hold dominion over the earth. And in the end of the age, Jesus is going to take back what is rightfully his and kick the serpent out of the garden, so to speak. Satan will be kicked out and thrown eternally into the lake of fire. I've brought this up a few times, but all through the early chapters of Revelation, Satan's throwing He's throwing Christians into jail. He's throwing Antipas, God's faithful witness, into martyrdom. Satan's throwing things, and he's angering. The very last throw we see in the Bible is God throws the thrower into hell. He throws Satan away. And then verse 18. This is just getting better and better. And and notice how pathetically cute this is. The nations raged. What are you going to (laughs) do? The nations raged, but your wrath came. The kingdom of darkness is going to rage against God. But they're not going to win. And they will be smashed and overcome. Verse 18, but the nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And there it is. Evil will be destroyed. The setting up of God's eternal kingdom in part involves the destruction of the kingdom it is at war with. Did you know the kingdom of God is at war with the kingdom of darkness? I don't know if you're aware. I got arrows in my back. I can show you. (laughs) Because it is. In order for God's kingdom to be at peace, the kingdom of darkness needs to be destroyed. You know, this is in part what the gospel of Mark is about. It it, it is Jesus' power, the kingdom of God's power, over the kingdom of of darkness. You'll notice immediately in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is fighting demons. Immediately. The point is, Mark wanted us to see, which seems to be the first gospel written, immediately the early church needed to know that the arrival of Jesus was the arrival of the kingdom. And the arrival of the kingdom meant that it was coming to advance against the kingdom of darkness. And one day the destroyers of the earth, the kingdom of darkness, will be destroyed forever. Then verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So upon the prophecy of the scroll, the seventh trumpet, the song in heaven, the heavens literally shake. Uh, and the Ark of the Covenant seen within the, the early, the, 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 the inner sanctuary of the heavenly temple. I have so much to say here, but we do not have time today. So we're going to hit that next week. Uh, but for today, I have two thoughts. And that's our text. They both come from verse 18. I want to read it one more time. Because it's amazing. <sighs> the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Specifically, I was drawn to, and for rewarding your servants, and and it, it talks about those who fear his name. Verse 1, or firstly, in contrast to the nations raging are those who fear God's name. There are two people groups described here. Those who rage against God and those who fear God. And a Christian, those in the kingdom of God, fear God. In Revelation 19:5, just before the marriage supper of the lamb, which is one meal I am not going to miss, the 24 elders cry, "Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great." Psalm 2:11 says, "Fear the Lord, or serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling." Proverbs 1:7 says, tells, uh, tells us, fear, the, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." What this song in Revelation eleven just told us is that God's people are those who are in uh, those who are in heaven are those who have learned to fear God. Those in heaven are those who have learned to fear God. What does that mean? Right, Because I want to be in heaven, don't you? Well, I better fear the Lord, apparently. (laughs) And to help our thinking, you'll hear some people say that the fear of the Lord is more of an Old Testament thing. The New New Testament God's the nice one. It's like, have you read Revelation? Because he's going to start stomping on people soon. (laughs) And of course, that's an even worse error to say that the God of the Old Testament's a different God. What an error that is. And then some people like to point out a singular verse, 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love casts out all fear. And that includes fear of the Lord. But that's not what John's talking about. Jesus instructs us to, to fear the Father in Matthew ten Don't fear those who can destroy your body. Fear him who can cast you into hell. In 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul instructs us to fear Jesus. Several times in the book of Revelation, God, Jesus is very clear. God's people who are in heaven are those who fear the Lord. So again, what does this mean? And you have to understand the fear of the Lord is a very broad scriptural topic. It's in just about every single book of the Bible, and the, so the fear of the Lord is a topic of paramount concern to the church. Now, first of all, we need to be clear. The believer and the non-believer should both fear the Lord. But fear the Lord in very different ways. So that, that's very important. The unbeliever needs, needs to fear the Lord because they are heading towards destruction. And they should fear the Lord. And their fear should lead them to repent of their sins while they can, before they can. But the Christian is to fear the Lord in the sense of reverence. However, in the 21st century American mindset, I think we tend to misunderstand or shallowly apply reverence because what do we really revere in our culture? <laughs> right? so, so thinking about biblical reverence i believe jesus gave us a clue to this in the lord's prayer when he opened up with our father now now many rightly point out that in that jesus you know jesus gave the sermon in the mount in aramaic so that that's fun. and and, and that word our father in aramaic is abba and and it is it, it's it's when we translate it, it's father, but really it's an elementary word. It's like a little child using the word papa or dada or mama. It's it's like the first word a baby would learn, and and a lot of people like to point that out. And it's so true and correct and good to think about Abba this way that uh, that God is our papa. He's our lovely dada. He he loves his children. But I think. What I, what I think is missed about Abba is the office of Abba in a child's life. I have a three-year-old boy who's the sweetest kid in the world. My little Caleb is so sweet. But apparently he also is a part-time Olympic wrestler and mongoose. <laughs> this kid is crazy. And there are times when he wants his way. And oh boy, look out. And listen, that's, that's all kids. When they want their way, they want their way. But he really wants his way. And there are times when he's in this runaway train mode, this mongoose on Adderall mode, whatever you want, Ah, he's getting crazy. As his father, there is a tone and a look I can give him that says, tread lightly. And he knows he better do what Abba just told him to do. And he listens. Because there's a reverence for the office of Abba. Of daddy to him. And see, his Abba, as his Abba, we play and laugh. I'll blow on his belly like he's farting. And I'll tickle him. And I'll throw him. And I'll brush his teeth. And we'll do story time. But he also knows that if he gets too far out of line... He's going to have to deal with the office of Abba. That dad is a lot of fun and silly, way too much. But that dad also has a role in the house, and that is that he leads it. And it is in this sense that Jesus opens the Lord's Prayer. With a child-father relationship of love and joy. And this is my dad and he loves me. But also one of the office. Now my three-year-old, if he's really angry, he will straight up punch my six-year-old in the face. Like crazy kid sometimes. He's getting better, but wow. He would never attempt to do that with me. And one of the reasons he would never do that to me is because he has estimated me to be bigger and stronger and in charge. I hold more authority than my three-year-old does. And this is how fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Before there is a healthy fear of the Lord, there is an estimation of the Lord that must happen. Before we approach God as father, we must estimate him as superior, as the leader, as the head. Proverbs 2, uh, 2 says, uh, verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Did you see that? Fear of the Lord comes... With an estimation, a knowledge of God. And how do we come to this knowledge of God? It said in verse 2: My son, if you receive my words, you don't receive from a superior and treasure up my commandments with, with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. All of this wisdom comes from going and receiving from a superior. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Solomon lays out that wisdom leads to fear and knowledge of God. But then almost paradoxically says that fear and knowledge of God leads to wisdom. He says the same thing backwards, and here's the point. In Revelation eleven eighteen, those being rewarded in heaven are those who fear the name of God. What that means is they are a people. While they lived on earth, they estimated God. They estimated God and believed what he said about himself, that God is the creator and we are his creation. Fear of the Lord to the believer is to estimate God as Lord, as God, and as Almighty. Fear of the Lord is a reverence for God as both our loving, faithful, kind, merciful Father, but it is also a reverence for the office of Father. That our Father is kurios, Theos, Pantocrator, he is king. Uh, he is the both king of kings and lord of lords. That, that is our father's office. And though we love God and he loves us, we must also bow before him in reverence for the office that he holds. That's what fear of the Lord means. And that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because when you really believe in God, when you really believe the Bible and believe it to be true, though you believe in God as the way the Bible describes him, then not only do you then hold reverence for God, you then also submit to him. You obey him. You obey the office. What did Jesus say? It is those who keep my commandments that love me. The reason Jesus said that is because if you really have a knowledge for God, and do not obey his commandments, and you walk in consistent rebellion against his authority and leadership, then you do not have a proper estimation of him, and you do not fear him as the believer should. So as we studied last week in Acts chapter 2, the more we learn of God, the more we desire to walk in obedience, the more we grow in fear and reverence of the Lord. So in short, those in heaven are those who fear the Lord. And those who fear the Lord are those who have estimated God as greater than themselves. And as a result in submission and reverence have come under the authority of God. You have not estimated God to be real and king if you never listen to what he tells you. You do not fear the Lord. As Solomon concludes in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Solomon encapsulates his whole book of wisdom, and it's a book about the the life of mature faith in God with this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Estimate God and come under his authority, for this is the whole duty of man. What we need to see is that God's people, those in heaven, are those who fear the Lord. And the way to fear the Lord is to estimate who God is in your life. And if you find yourself in consistent rebellion against God, then you do not fear him. You do not have a respect for the office of Abba in your life. And something's wrong. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. I don't expect my kids to be perfect, but when they mess up, they know it. (laughs) (laughs) And they come to Abba and say sorry and do better. And they do their best. That's what every believer in heaven holds unified. They estimated God while they were on earth and came under his authority. They feared the Lord. Now, secondly, and quickly, that's our second point. Notice who God rewards in heaven. Verse 18. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) I know we just came from heavy, but this is really light. The first people to be listed as receiving a reward from God in heaven are the servants. You know what that word servant there is in the Greek? It's doulos, it means slave. Slave. The first people sung about having received their heavenly reward in heaven are the slaves. Those who have given themselves to Jesus. Totally. And then we see the prophets. The saints and the god are next. But then finally it says the small and the great. The small. Isn't that awesome? The book of Revelation is not primarily revealing the end times to us. Or primarily revealing the plans of the Antichrist to us. That's not why God gave us this book. This book is not primarily even revealing the judgments upon the wicked to us. But the number one reason God has given us this book is to unveil his son to the church. This book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ to the church. And what God is unveiling to us today about his son, about himself, is that in heaven, even the smallest of us will be richly rewarded for believing in his son. That in Jesus Christ, that both the slave and the smallest of us will end up wearing crowns of gold. And dressed in... Everyone here is getting a crown. It's not the guy next to you that's, you know, well, I'm sure they get one, you know. You're getting one. That in Jesus Christ we are all wearing crowns of gold. We will all be dressed in brilliant white linens. And clothed in glory. And given new bodies. And gifted a room in the new Jerusalem. God is showing us here that our Father. to, To our Father. To our Savior. To our helper. There is no such thing as an insignificant, unimportant child of God. That all believers... Who wash themselves in the blood of the Lamb, no matter how significant you may feel, or how insignificant your life may appear to be, or how little you or someone seems to have accomplished, that in Christ they are children of the King and are royalty. There is not one person in all of heaven who will be there through all of eternity who will not be lavished in gifts by our glorious God. It says from both slave to prophet, from small to great, we're all getting rewarded. This is one of the reasons God gave us the story of David, I'm convinced. He chose the least from the house of Jesse. Jesse. You know, David's own father overlooked him. Samuel the prophet came and he goes, I hear uh, one of your boys are going to be king. Or, you know, he's got a message. And he picks out all of his sons except for David and he goes, Well, I got this one in the field. Oh, he's always oh, playing his music all day. I'm not sure he doesn't have a wacky tobacco out there, you know, or whatever his dad's saying about him. And he goes, Go get that one. And of course, there he was, and this Samuel, the prophet of God, anoints him with oil in front of his brothers. <laughs> the ultimate flex, you know—that's great—and gave him strength to kill giants. The Bible's very clear; he was a little guy, and then gave him the wisdom. And then it says he became a general. How does a shepherd become an effective general? God. Um, Then he gave him skill to make music that's going to be sung for the rest of eternity. (laughs) We're going to be singing psalms in heaven. And established his house that would never end. And this is but a glimpse of what God is going to do to every single one of us. When we enter into glory. This is the story of the prodigal son. The son had squandered all of his wealth. He told his father, he essentially said, I need my inheritance, Pops. You know what that means? Well, I can't wait for you to die, so give it to me. And it reads in a few days he left, which means he took half of his father, or a third of his father's stuff, and that's time for another time, and he sold everything at a discount price just so he can get out of Dodge as fast as possible. And then he squandered his money. He lived a life of absolute debauchery. He had totally abused the love of his father. And yet when he came home, what did his father do? He sent his servants to clothe his boy in glory. And riches. He put the, the ring of sonship on his boy. Clothed him. He put shoes on his feet. And then he threw a party. Now, note. This is not our text today, but we need to see it. The prodigal son was said he came from a land of famine. You know what happens when you haven't eaten for weeks? What can't you do? Eat a lot. It'll kill you. Yeah. That happened when a lot of, a lot of survivors from uh, the, 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 the Holocaust camps, the U.S. soldiers started feeding them Twinkies and you know, giving them everything they could because they were skin and bones and they, their stomachs exploded and a lot of them died. Oh, yeah. You can't eat a lot when you've been famished. And it says he was looking at the food, the, the pods, the pigs were eating and were hungry. What do you think? A pig already eats slop. What do you think? They're eating in a famine. And so he's famished, famished. He comes home, what's the father say? He kills the fatted calf. He kills a whole cow. His boy could probably eat six ounces of meat. He kills he got hundreds of pounds of meat. My kind of dad. And, he, and he, he's got this thing. Now, if the son can't eat it, he's not doing this for the son, is he? He's doing this for himself. The father's excited he's home. The father wants to celebrate that he's home. This isn't the son's celebration, this is the father's celebration. And as glorious this story is, it is but a glimpse of what God's going to do to every single one of us when we come home. Yes, we are going to be so blessed. We think about God giving us new bodies and doing everything he's doing, but ultimately, this is God's party. He's the one excited we're home. He's the one who sent his son to die on the cross for the sin of the world because he so loved the world. This is the father's party he's throwing. You happen to be there. He's throwing it because he's full of joy. God is going to adorn those who fear his name, both small and great, both prophet and slave, and give us new bodies, and wipe every tear from our eye, and prepare a table for us, and feed us, and serve us. He's going to place us on thrones, and we're going to dwell together for the rest of eternity. And why? Because our Father is a good Father. And what he says is. What our Father, our our Lord, our God and Almighty declares is as certain to come true as if it's already happened. And like he promised us here in Revelation 11, when we enter into glory, he will reward every single one of us. And he will do so because it delights him to do so. God is so excited for you to come home. But as much as he wants to see that smile on your face. (laughs) He also wants to throw a party because he wants to party. (laughs) Because he wants you. God wants you. It says when the boy was a long way off. He ran to him. He he ran to him. And then one day Jesus is going to return. and He's going to call us up into the air. And I can't help but to think when we come to meet Jesus, he's going to run to us. God wants you. But in order to be his child, you must estimate him as father. You You must have love for father and you must have respect for the office of father. Because when you get to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives the most terrifying passage in all of the scriptures. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did mighty works. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. You did not submit to the office. We must submit and fall under the authority of the office of Abba. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) God we love you we we praise you we thank you we ask we ask that you would grow us in fear of the Lord help us to, to grow in a healthy respect for you and reverence for you not Let us not come under your authority, God, as ones who are avoiding damnation, but let us come as joyful sons and daughters under the office of dad. And God, we know for those of us that have been walking with you long enough that walking in agreement with your will (laughs) is far better than getting our own way anyways. But God, sometimes our flesh, boy, it likes to kick up and throw dust. <laughs> God, help us to be submissive and obedient. Help us to repent where we need to repent. And help us to come under the office of our Father. God, we pray for those in here that, that do not know you, that they may, again, not only understand that God, you love them, but God, that you. Are also a king and a lord. And in your kingdom is one that goes on forever and ever. Let them come under that authority today. We do pray and live life. God reading your word and adhering to it. And God we pray for those that are running their race. But are getting weary. Strengthen them today God. Let them understand that you love them. They are not under a spirit of condemnation. They are not uh, avoiding the fires of hell by their morality. We are saved through Christ alone, not plus works, just you and your blood. But God, we must come under reverence of that. And so please, again, help us to be well balanced in this through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for anyone who needs special prayer that they may receive it by the team up here by the double doors. And God, we ask if anyone needs counsel today or, or to talk, let them, before they leave here today, connect with a faithful brother and sister and talk God use us today and send us out in a mighty new way and God increase our fear of thee a healthy fear of thee as one as a father and a child we pray all these things in accordance with your
0: will and your goodness and all who agreed said amen let's stand and worship thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore please keep in touch Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.